DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. We're joined now by our basketball insider, Steve Cleveland. Steve, good morning. Good morning. Well, now you've seen all 10 episodes of the Michael Jordan self-approved documentary, (laughs) The Last Dance. (laughs) Now, you had some interaction with him because, believe it or not, and if people miss this in a previous week, they can go back and listen to 1280thezone.com, but you told the story about... Steve, about uh, Michael Jordan coming to Fresno and doing camps. And you had a, and Steve, you had a bunch of great stories there. So you knew him on one level, but did you learn anything about him in these 10 episodes you didn't know, or was it just the little glimpses of behind-the-scenes interaction that cracked you up? You know, uh, yeah, I mean, certainly there was a lot of things I had not seen or, or heard in, in terms of the, the team and the coaches and the experiences are many of those things though uh today you know without you know there wasn't a lot of social media back then there wasn't you know the internet like there is today and there wasn't twitter and instagram and and uh, because all of this would have been way more transparent if that had been and we would have known much more about this story than we we learned after the fact but i, th- I think the, the 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 thing that just reinforced with me that it didn't matter what he was involved in, he, he was the most competitive person that I had ever been around. And, and not always in a negative way, in, in a positive way as well. To me, he could still make you feel good beating beat you in something, whether it was playing tennis or ping pong or shooting free throws, whatever it might have been. But his, his competitiveness was just off the charts. And, and that's one of the things that I maybe I, I kind of knew, but I learned to really, really, really appreciate in terms of uh, the the trials and the challenges and all the things they're dealing with in such a public life, but he never lost that competitiveness, and that's what made him special. And uh, and, and to be honest with you, it uh, not to say that because I know that just listening to former players and guys that played against him, and uh, it, it wasn't always a pleasant experience. He wasn't a fun guy to be with all the time. It's probably especially in practices. But but looking back, it, it was those intangibles that he had. Obviously, talented, very 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 talented and skilled, and just an amazing guy. But it was the intangibles that made him really special and do the things he did. And and he was able to do that in a way that yeah, probably upset his teammates at time, but never to the point where they quit on him or gave up on him. Uh, you know, so collectively, he would not only he was kind of like a player coach in some respects, and 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 certainly they had great coaches there and uh, how they handled things. But I look at Michael being the uh, the greatest example of a player led team. He he's one, and you talk to coaches today and anybody, and you know that the best teams that you ever coached were player led. It doesn't mean that you didn't set a foundation and. For, for to having a, a you know a wonderful culture and all of the expectations, setting goals and having role, everybody having a role and understanding that. But at the end of the day, the best teams are player-led teams, and Michael Jordan is the greatest example of that. I don't care if it's in business, sports, or whatever. Is his handprint was all over that uh, those six championships. 
So when you took over at BYU in the mid-90s, it literally was at its worst shape that it had ever been in. It took you three or four years, and then you built that thing up, and then you won the conference tournament. You get in the NCAAs. I remember being there in the Thomas and Mac talking to you, and it was such a, such a struggle to get there, and you got there. And then you look at Jordan with the struggles of losing in the playoffs to whether it be the Celtics or the Pistons. And then obviously he got there at a higher level. But how much sweeter is it to get there when you finally get there after you've had the struggles and the process to get where you want to go? That's a great question because, you know what, every every job I ever had was kind of a rebuilding deal, whether it was a brand new high school or it was a junior college that was kind of had been decimated and, and, and BYU were, they have a great history there. It was just circumstances and a situation that led to, to what happened. And even at Fresno state, the same thing. And I'm going to tell you that as I look back, I had to do an interview yesterday, kind of a face-to-face thing here in the community. And so I had, I was kind of in a reflective mood preparing for that. And that is the greatest satisfaction that I got from my coaching experience for 37 years is the opportunity to, to build and, and to see just the development of myself, the coaches, players overcome. You know, I, I will just share this briefly. The greatest experience I ever had in coaching was in a team that won eight or nine games. And that was my first year at BYU. And uh, we, we had a hodgepodge of junior college guys, several of them, ton of walk-ons. A lot of the players that had been in the program the year before had gone on missions. So it was, it was a complete redo. And uh, that team fought and scratched. And I, I, I love that group of guys as much as I love any team I coached because they, they just bought in. And, and it was one of those deals where we're finishing the season. And, and you're going to remember this back because you were there. But we, we've won seven games. Yeah. I, think we're, I, I don't know exactly. We're probably 7-18, 7-19. I'm not sure what we were. And uh, we had met as a team in practice, and we were going on a road trip to play. Uh, at the time, I think New Mexico was 13th or 14th in the country. We're going to go up to UTEP and play coach. We're going to coach Haskins, good teams there. But the idea was that, if you remember back in that WAC, there were 16 teams. Not everybody qualified for the tournament. And... Uh, so I can remember being with the team and telling them that, hey, we've got an opportunity here. There's still goals to be – there's a goal for us that to make this whack tournament, you know. And we had a great team meeting and had practice afterwards, came back in, and we're getting ready to leave. And I, I, I just popped my head and I said, listen, we, we can do this. We can go there. We can, we can beat New Mexico. We have – you know. And, and I, I left the, the, the locker room and I thought, what in the heck are you talking to these kids about? You know, I mean, this is myself thinking, well, what are you thinking? You know, I mean, they've been struggling just to get through this thing. And so I walked, popped my head back in and I said, we can do this. Get your mindset right. Well, as it turns out, we ended up having uh, a snowstorm and we couldn't even fly out of Salt Lake to get to New Mexico. We had to take a, a bus to Vegas, fly out of Vegas, and it, ultimately we got into Albuquerque like at, I don't know, one or two in the morning. So there's no practice beforehand. There wasn't going to be a shooter, and I just felt like we needed to get sleep. So we show up at the arena about an hour early and get shots up. And anybody that's been to the pit knows that place is crazy. They had a good team, and uh, 17,000 people there. 
we make like our first seven or eight shots in a row. Well, long story short, we're up like 20 at half, and uh, which is incredible. And we're playing a ranked team with a, a hodgepodge of junior college guys that are just tough competitors, and just you just love them to death because every day they bought it at practice. And, uh, and this was the day they started making baskets. At the first TV timeout, at the first TV timeout, we were like up two or three. I mean, they had made a run on us, and uh, we gathered, <laughs> gathered ourselves, called the timeout, and uh, that group of young people just did incredible things. Hung in there and hung in there. Danny Bowery, I remember a young man, he, was, he, he, he had some victories. He was a junior college transfer from Rick's College. Anyway, we ended up winning that game, and it, it was incredible. It's like it was a, maybe a life-changing experience, and I, and I can remember going the next day and Coach Haskins coming out to my practice as we're doing a, a shoot-around at UTEP and, and sharing some things with me, and that may be for another day, but just shared some really special things for me as a coach. And then that night we beat them in triple overtime, and uh, it was uh, Lance Archibald hit a big three, McKelly hit a, a, a game-winner, and we, we sweep the road trip and go to the tournament. And so, yes, you know, when there isn't a lot of pressure on teams that are young and you're starting over, I understand the pressure comes when you start winning and then you, it's expected. So we, we didn't have to deal with that burden. But that was the most special experience I had as a coach at any level, a group of young men that uh, just had been put together at very late in the year, and found a way to do one of the most special things I've ever experienced. And, you know, it's not like winning a championship or going to the tournament, but when you look at the circumstances and the environment, um, that's right at the top of my list. Steve Cleveland joining us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We always hear that coaches suffer the losses more than they enjoy the wins. So I thought of you watching the last episodes of The Last Dance because Jordan gets title number six. And in the locker room, he and Scottie Pippen are having a good laugh about the team being broken up. And they clearly, in that moment, are so into the championship. Everything is funny, and it doesn't drag them down at all. And Jordan at the piano, still in some champagne, (laughs) soaked jersey. And talk about staying in the moment. How come he can do it and most people can't? And is that a big part of what made him different and more successful? Yeah, I, I think it is. And you really, the special people, and I don't care if it's in the theater, music, sports, whatever, there are people that can be in the moment and stay in the moment and play at the highest level. And I'm, I'm not sure what the special sauce is for that or the formula for that. Uh, I, I think that is in your DNA, honestly. And when you see it, you've, you've all been around a lot of great athletes and see how people rise to the occasion and do special things and special moments. And, and we probably, and of course, you know, you, it, it becomes larger than life. And, and it probably puts a lot of pressure on people when they don't succeed and when they don't fail. When they don't, then there's comparisons made and, you know, they don't have this or they don't have that. But I think in Michael's situation, and I, I think you could look at every facet of life, but you look at people that have kind of that, that DNA where they can, in the moment, be relaxed and know how to breathe and, and just, just block everything out and make big baskets and make big plays. Uh, 
Yeah, that, that's something very unique and special. And that, everybody doesn't have that. In fact, most people don't have that. Even, even success, very, very successful people. It's a very elite group of people that have that in sport. And uh, not that, that you know, his teammates didn't have opportunities to, to do great things, and they did. You know, everybody kind of steps up and have moments. But people that consistently do that, well, that's really difficult. And, and you're right. I, I think that you, you mentioned early on in that comment that, you know, coaches take the losses harder than anyone. And, and, and that is the absolute truth. I mean, it's more, it's more relief. It's more relief. And, that, and that's when you know that, that you have to get your priorities straight again. I, I remember going through some of those times as a coach where there was an expectation to win and you're, maybe you're playing an opponent that's not supposed to beat you and, uh, and you end up beating them and you don't even enjoy the win. It's, it's, it's kind of like it's relief. Let's get on to the next one. And I, I know there were times in my life that, that that was a burden where I just felt like, what, what am I doing here? You know, I mean, if I can't enjoy this experience and it was more like, okay, let's get the game prep for the next game. You know, you don't have time as you're playing a day later and you're playing somebody else. And when you really do reflect, is sometimes uh, not even maybe, maybe you will at the end of the year and certainly take some time. But I can tell you this: being ten years away from it, uh, or you know, eight, eight or eight or nine years away from it, uh, I can really reflect back now and appreciate what young men did, what coaches did, and uh, and and experience some of that joy. Because a lot of times during when you're in the battle in the heat of the moment, you're not. And uh, Michael was someone that seemed that he could. He could be in the heat of the moment, the battle, and take time to really enjoy it and then get back on it. And, but for coaches, it's much more difficult. How intoxicating and how much of a drug is winning? <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, it, the problem is that we live in a society, that in, and in sports specifically, that it's, that's, you're defined by that. And, and no, you know, that's not it, that's not who we are. It's not you know. Sometimes coaches, players are misunderstood because of how they deal with the you know the win at all costs and and when things don't go well and uh, and so a lot of that perception and hype is created through the media, created you know con- the constant barrage of who are the winners and who are the losers and you know. You have to really isolate yourself as a coach and uh, and as a player to not listen to all that noise. And, and I, I don't mean to be derogatory about the media or anything, but that's just life, man. That's how it is. And we're on, everybody's under the microscope. So uh, it's, it's not an easy thing to deal with. And, and certainly the more you win, the more the pressure is. And you have to learn how to cope and deal with that. I did that well at times, and other times I didn't. Uh, and it's a lot easier for me to look back now, sitting in my office here, and talking about it. But when you're living that, and uh, you're sick, I mean, I can remember being sick to my stomach and literally being physically sick before games. You know, just because of all of that pressure that mounts up. And most of it was put on myself. <laughs> you know, and because of that winning. And so, how you handle winning is, is really important. We've seen a lot of people, in uh, especially coaches that it's really taken a toll on their personal lives, on their marriages, on all the things that happen off the court. I mean, there's been many examples of, of what this game, and, and I'm not just talking about basketball, I'm talking 
sports in general, at the collegiate and professional level, there is a great deal of pressure. And you have to be able to really have a sense of who you are and know who you are and whatever your faith is, whatever your beliefs are, whatever your philosophy is, that uh, the things that are really important in life, that's got to be where you go back to. And, you know, if you have a family and, you know, you may not always have a family. Maybe you're a single guy coaching and doesn't have extended family around him. Everybody needs a support system around him just to kind of deal with that. But it is, that's one of the really challenging things about coaching is that we don't enjoy the success as nearly as much as we should until maybe we're retired. Well, Steve, as always, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for uh, joining us, and we will talk to you again next week. Thanks, guys. Take care. Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider, joining us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Winning is addicting, PK. There's just no way around it. Tom Brady keeps winning. He's not walking away. John Elway did. He's the exception. But Brett Favre would bounce around the teams. Brady will bounce around the teams. Peyton Manning switched teams. Uh, and, and you can go back through the decades. There's more examples than that. That's just three recent examples. Amen. 18 years we've won, and I'm still as high as when the first ratings book came out, and I've got no intention of slowing down. I'm not forgetting, I mean, about the old days. We had to struggle, or at least I did. You were Silver Spoon Kid. I had to struggle, and I got to where I am through hard work, and now that winning is intoxicating. And right now, I am going to raise my water bottle and take a big old swig and celebrate the winning that is DJ and PK. DJ and PK, everything you missed in this show, coming up next. Stay with us. And now, attention, top of the wire on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. UCLA expected to announce hiring of Martin Jarmon as the Bruins' new athletic director today. He's been the AD at Boston College since 2017. Will replace retiring AD Dan Guerrero. He was the youngest Power 5 AD at the age of 37 when BC hired him away from Ohio State. Major League Baseball told players their prorated salaries would contribute to an average loss of $640,000 for each game over an 82-game season in empty ballparks, according to a presentation from the commissioner's office to the union that was obtained by the Associated Press. Oklahoma City Thunder guard Chris Paul says NBA players want to return to action ASAP. Paul is the president of the National Basketball Players Association. Top of the Wire is brought to you by Zero Res. Clean home is a healthy home. Zero Res cleaning carpets right now for just $25 per room. The lowest price is to help out as many people as possible. It's $25 per room available while space is available. Call Zero Res today for details and restrictions at 801-288-9376. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Everybody say I pushed off. The man, was his energy was going that way. I didn't have to push him that way. Russell was already stumbling away. 
That hand on his backside was the equivalent of a Mater D showing someone to their table. Michael Jordan, Bob Costas on the push. What do Jazz fans want to hear about that, PK? I mean, deep oh. down, do they really think that MJ is going to be called for an offensive foul in that situation? Do they want to hear that, hey, you just get away with fouls at the end of the game, and then a, a list of Reggie Miller pushed Jordan out of the way to get off a big shot in the Eastern Finals, and Malone hugged Drexler so Stockton could get off the shot in Houston. Hey, it's just <laughs> there really aren't much in the way of rules in the final 20 seconds of an NBA playoff game. Oh, I think they understand that, but I think that you could admit that you pushed off and then they can live with it easier, but to continually deny it, I think gets under their skin. And so, yeah, they get that you're not going to call foul in that situation. And and you got Jordan and Russell, nothing against Russell, but he's Jordan and you're not. And so they, nothing is going to change, but I think it would placate them a little bit better that at least if Jordan said, well, it was a call that could have gone or a non-call that could have gone either way, but he's not willing to give an inch. He swore, and I had the first five letters of his swear word on my jersey on my <laughs> t-shirt last night on television most people thought i was wearing a bulls t-shirt no it was a reflection of what jordan said and he said it so quickly there was one there was not even one second that went by when he addressed it by saying bull bleep and so i think that fan base gets it and obviously nothing's going to change either way but why not just come out and say hey it's a close non-call. Could have gone either way. I was fortunate enough that it didn't go against me, and I made the shot, and I won my sixth title. I think if he were to say that, I think that fans can live with it. But his flat-out, adamant, absolutely, unequivocally, no question, it was not a foul. I think that bugs him. There were uh, lots of moments. Your favorite one. We got a lot of people uh, putting it, uh, putting stuff up at uh, Facebook, DJ and PK, and we've a lot of people putting stuff up on the uh, our Twitter page. Uh, Minds of David DJ James. This is a PK Kenahan. Uh, you know, one thing I thought they did that we have all done. Uh, with that Jordan's last shot is look at all the faces in the crowd and they had the bite about it I forget who it was from it might have been Kerr but it might have been somebody else and uh, and you go through the crowd and everyone is like oh man he's gonna do this <laughs> and you just see the look on all these all the people having that same feeling at the same time, and no time to line it up and consult each other. It was just the place they all went at the same time, and I thought they ca- they captured they captured the mood in Utah pretty well in that in those moments. Well, looking from the back end of Jordan into the crowd mm-hmm. under that basket, over to the right, I think in the second row, maybe third, is Chris Hill. Hill, yeah, and Chris, you can see him right there, and he's talked about being there. I think he took his son. And so he was at that game, yeah, and he was standing up watching. I'm not sure he had a huge fan-vested interest. Maybe he did because he's lived in Utah a long time and has obviously interacted with jazz folks. So he probably wanted him to win, maybe not the hardcore. Like, I wanted him to win, but I didn't 
it wasn't a crushing blow to me that they didn't win like it would be the lifelong fan. I understand that. I'm a little bit different that way, but I get that. And so, yeah, Chris was there. And right, that was a devastating, devastating moment because you knew, man, you don't get to the finals very often. It took all those years to get there, man. I mean, it literally took 15 years, basically, a little less than that, for those guys to get there. And they got there. And they were running on uh, fumes, too, to an extent. You know, we don't really talk about that because the Jordan thing gets most of the attention as far as running out of gas. But obviously that jazz ball club, particularly the two stars, and then, uh, you know, Hornacek can be considered a high-level player. Those guys were getting older. And so the chances of them getting back, nobody knew. Now, obviously, they didn't get back. Uh, and we didn't know it at the time. Would they get back? Would they not get back? But we knew that that was a great opportunity twice. I mean, how many teams go to three finals in a row? You know, not very many, especially at that point. And they didn't do it. So, yeah, that was a devastating blow at that time. Who knows what would have happened? I, you know, I, we can just, just have fun with this. And maybe it even hurts to say it, but if Jordan hadn't made the steal and then the buckets because he made two of them uh, at the end there, I think that, man, I would have liked the Jazz chances in Game 7. Now I'm going against Jordan, which is ridiculous, but I think I would have liked their chances to win that thing in Game 7 if they got there because Pippen clearly was battered. I mean, it looked painful for him to move up and down the floor let alone being able to turn around and come back a couple of days later. I don't know. We'll never know, but I think they could have got the job done in a Game 7. I thought that was one of the more intriguing things. If there's just like one moment, I, I think I just kind of get <laughs> I, I don't know that I laughed out loud. I definitely giggled and reacted. And partly it's because, you know, we work in the media business. And so you know how people react to the media – uh, publicly, you always wonder how they react privately, especially, you know, if you're telling a difficult truth, but people know it's the truth. So when when they're reporting on how bad Pippen's back is, you know, and at the time we could probably get 10 listeners at a 10, you know, 10 different thoughts on how much it might impact the game. But he's getting treatment, which may or may not be a big deal. Players get t- treatment all the time. But it so irritates Phil, and, and the Zen master was not in a Zen moment. The way he reached up and smacked that TV off, <laughs> just so irritated. It was the truth. Nobody said it wasn't the truth. Uh, I got to say, I enjoyed that. <laughs> and, and Pippen does come off as a heroic figure, limping through that game in and out of the locker room. I mean, I guess the trainer's going to stick up for him at that point. So, uh, you know be the decoy, hit a couple of hoops, and uh, that was just barely enough to get out of there, combined with Jordan going off. Yeah, that team didn't have a ton of depth. I mean, it was Jordan, Pippen, and then a whole bunch of role players, man. Yeah. I mean, I'm not even necessarily high-level role players, because at that point, Horace Grant was long gone. Oh, yeah. And, and I guess Rodman, you know, in his own right, did what he did at a high level, but he was essentially a role player. I'm not sure that you would take... Rodman over Grant. Now, I realize Rodman was a better rebounder and all that statistically, but he had better have been because that's basically all he wanted to do, and that's what he dominated his mind and attention for. And good for him because he carved out 
a great run. But, you know, all the nonsense that uh, he had to put up with, you wonder if it was worth it. And Horace Grant didn't give you that. So that team there, you know, they needed bodies and Pippen able to get out there. And, you know, I think you got to give him credit for, for doing that. I'm not sure that many people would have said, no, I'm not going back in. That's, that's where I, I tend to have an issue because you always, oh, not many people. Eh, I disagree because I think mo- most folks, particularly in that situation, and I've never been in that situation, but I think most folks are competitive and want to win. I think that's our inner drive. There's certainly enough of us out there who want to win. And so I can't say, I give him credit for going out there, but I can't say, like, oh, man, most guys wouldn't have done it. That's where I have the problem. I actually think the other way. I think most guys would have done it. Uh, other things we have talked about today, we had Dale Murphy on uh, talking baseball, uh, how much the game has changed, but the constant thing is he thinks he's really curious about what the quality of play is going to be when they come back. He thinks this time off, the, he, he talked about missing a couple months because of the strike in the middle of the 81 season. But this is having a whole off season, a little bit of spring training, and then missing a couple more months. Uh, he thinks he, he didn't want to come out and say it's going to be a major problem, but it's clear he expects it to be. He can't guarantee it, but he expects it's going to be rough when they come back. It's not going to be a problem at all because we are celebrating the return. That is where we're going to find the joy. The reality of them not being at their peak, we all understand it. The reality of the NBA returning and having something fluky happen that probably wouldn't have happened if we would have continued on normally, sure, it's probably much higher. But we get that. This isn't about winning and losing when they come back. This is about playing. That's the whole point, to come back and play, to give this nation an opportunity for those who decide they want to partake of it, an opportunity to watch some sports and have fun and bring fathers and sons and daughters and dads and so forth and so on to get them in front of the television or get them discussing things that they would talk about. And that's what it's about. So, yeah, the quality of play might suffer so friggin' what? As long as they're not some serious injury that will prevent somebody from playing forever and ever, or along with the lines of the health issues, obviously are extreme and of utmost importance that those things don't happen. The quality of play, I don't care. It doesn't matter. The fact that they're back, that's what I'm going to rejoice in. I don't know that, especially in baseball, I don't know that we're going to notice it as much. I mean, if a guy isn't really dialed in because he's been off too long and he strikes out, is it going to look any different than the other strikeouts? And if the pitcher, you know, doesn't quite have the command and and that fastball is just over the heart of the plate instead of, you know, painting the black or a couple inches off the plate – and somebody hits it out of the park, are we going to think, oh, that never would have happened? The players may know. You know, Dale Murphy standing in the batter's box might know that he feels different, but I don't know that we're going to be able to tell. Football, with all the moving parts, if it isn't as crisp, and if there's, you know, no big plays over five yards and the defense is way ahead of the offense, maybe that shows up because the games are low scoring. But I would think in baseball, it might just kind of cancel it 
cancel itself out. The strikeouts, the home runs, how will we know? I guess if there's a bunch of 24-22 games, we'll know. Oh, yeah, that's not baseball. Right. But I I don't think that'll happen. Maybe it will. I I wouldn't think so, too. I would be more along your lines, and some pitchers are going to struggle and some hitters are going to struggle, but it's basically a wash. Right. And so we won't really see a huge variance on one side of dominant pitching, one side of dominant hitting. Well, times we'll see it, but we already see that sometimes, you know, where guys just don't have it or you have to reach down. Because pitching, starting pitching, there's more of it than big-time quarterback play, but you need more of it because they can't go out and throw you know, all the time. But there's just not that many of them. The, the ace in baseball, I mean, the tr- not the number one. Everybody, everybody has a number one, but I'm talking about the true ace. And if we went down the list and put in true aces – I wonder how much deeper that list would be if we go down and put big-time quarterbacks on the list. What would be the number? What would we come up with? Would we come up with 15 aces and eight big-time quarterbacks? I mean, I've never done this, so it's just off the top of my head. But I don't think the number would be that different in terms of big-time quarterbacks and big-time aces. So you start getting into teams three – four and five pitchers well yeah no wonder why guys are jacking the ball because it's they're basically up there serving meat to these guys and you know bigger stronger and all this stuff now than we used to have i mean hank aaron and willie mays they'd be little dudes compared to what we have today now they would if they played today they would be bigger and so forth and be stronger because they would have had the same advantages that today's players have and so i don't doubt that those two would be just as great today as they were then it's just that it was a way different world so I do think that I agree with you in that that stuff will even it out. And, and I really don't think people are going to care that much. It's just going to be a celebration of the return of sports. DJ and PK, that's some of what we've been talking about today. Brought to you by Larry H. Miller, Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ramy, and Sandy. Find your deals online at LHMDeals.com. Your feedback coming up next. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. George Nian, kind enough to join us. It sounds like you want to get back out there. You want to play and, and finish the season. For sure. You know, I feel like America needs sports. You yeah. know, America needs entertainment just for their mental well-being. And if, you know, the NBA could lead that resurgency, that would mean a lot. You know, I think the game has a huge impact. If we can continue to impact the world positively, you know, with, you know, stressing the fact that, you know, be healthy, protect yourself, uh, wash your hands, take care of others, and still be able to play, I think we should get out there and do it. Uh, but if it's my gut feeling and I had a gun to my head, I would say that, you know, we're going to finish the season and that's going to happen. Hanson Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Time for your feedback right now, and it's brought to you by Audi Salt Lake City, where you can pick up a new Audi Q5 SUV for only $3.59 per month. Visit Audi Salt Lake City at 999 South State or AudiSaltLakeCity.com. Chance, that was a fluff piece. There were no opposing views, no real criticism of Jordan. Makes me wonder what new product Jordan is going to release now that he's convinced us he's the greatest. <laughs> he's convinced us? <laughs> Some of us were convinced before that began. But I get his point. It burnished his image. And it certainly did speak to... You could see it in the tweets that NBA players were sending out, right? Most of them were not old enough uh, 
to really appreciate Jordan's career. Depending on their age, they might know something about it. But if you're Donovan Mitchell's age, just do the math. He didn't know anything. I mean, whatever he'd learned or read along the way, this was uh, this was a deep dive into Jordan for someone who's Donovan Mitchell's age or even a little older. Yeah, but I think you can still know stuff. I mean, I you can know some, sure. I, I I know about the Civil War. Now, obviously, I didn't participate on it. I you know, I'm convinced that uh, nothing changes anybody's minds. The only thing that changes people's minds is the individual who decides to change. So if you thought Jordan was a jerk before, you still do. If you thought he was the greatest and walked on water, you further it. Chris says it was cool to see on multiple occasions Malone and Stockton waiting outside the Bulls locker room or going onto the bus to congratulate Jordan. The respect for each other is real. Yeah, I don't have any problem with that. And we got Doug here. It was great to see some of the behind-the-scenes footage we'd never seen before. Players and coaches' interactions behind the interview room curtain, Malone offering congrats on the Bulls bus, Jordan playing piano in his hotel room, Dick Bavetta, Dick Bavetta failing an eye test at the optometrist. Thank you. Try the veal, people. Is this better? Is this better? Is this better? <laughs> Do you like this or this? <laughs> now or one or two? Two or one? Can you read the fifth line down from backwards to forwards? That's what you get at Davis Vision, guys. <laughs> True story. Most of the games the Bulls won, they scored below 90 points. When they say the Bulls are the greatest team, that's a bunch of hogwash. The Warriors normally score 120. The Warriors would have blitzed them by scoring 20 each game. Well, they didn't score many from the three because they didn't take as many. So that's a little askew there. But the Warriors get out of town. It's the 80s Lakers. Yeah. <laughs> Matt says, pretty interesting reliving the Jazz near misses. Found myself a much bigger fan of Steve Kerr and Reggie Miller, which I did not expect. Why? Liked what they said in the interviews, I guess, or impressed with whatever they said. Okay. Uh, I mean, they didn't really say anything that that surprised me. Uh, Steve sitting down and talking about his dad, that has to be hard, and I think you're always going to end up sympathetic as someone who tells a But I already knew that story through and through. Yeah. You did, but not everybody does. I got it. Yeah, I, I understand that. But I mean, he didn't. They didn't say anything that was surprising. I didn't think. Yeah, I don't think the whole documentary had that much that was surprising. It was more filling in details and giving us a peek at stuff that we otherwise couldn't see. You know, I, I can imagine what a conversation between Bird and Jordan would be like after a playoff series, um, but I can't know for sure, and now I know for sure. Oh, yeah, and I that saw was one. 25 seconds. I know, I know. And those, but those are the little moments because of the bigger point. So like I told you, I, I thought the star of Episode 9 and 10 was Bob Costas. They had way more game play-by-play and less reflection on the game than I expected. There was way more Costas' voice than there was Phil Jackson's. And, and that wasn't what I expected. Honestly, it isn't what I would have preferred, but you know, I wasn't at the interviews. Maybe Phil didn't give him that much that was that good. Yeah, I don't know. I, I do know him. Man, his voice is very raspy, though, when wherever he in Montana or wherever he gave that interview. Uh, but yeah, it was all a collection of stuff. I think the thing that really made it work is the timing. They moved it up. 
If it's in the summer, I don't think it gets near the run, but it's during the pandemic. Yep. The timing couldn't have been better. I think that's what made it as sensational. I have this uh, attorney lady that, uh, I'll just leave it at that, and not a big sports fan, but she's telling me that she's just fascinated by this stuff. You know, for her, it's a lot of first-time exposure because she's not a hardcore sports fan. Well, I'm wondering if this was in July or whenever they intended to air it, if it would be to the level of interest, the widespread. It seemed like the country stopped. And maybe I'm overstating it. I probably am because it's my world and we tend to overstate our stuff. But it just seems like everybody and their dog has been watching this stuff. And I think a lot of it is because of the timing of what's going on in the world or going on in our country, obviously, and then... Certainly in the world, too. Yeah, it was really supposed to start start running with in concert with the NBA Finals, PK, but I'm with you. Had it been running at that time with a regularly scheduled finals going on, it doesn't get the run I feel like it's gotten the last... No, we'd I be would. talking about the games. Yeah. But to PK's point, though, on an off night, there still would have been baseball games. Correct. And there would have been people there's going other, to them and watching other events, them. yeah. Movie theaters would have been full. There Correct. would have been concerts. And all that stuff is shut down now. So you got limited options, and more people are going to focus on it. Right. We would Right now, today, this morning, we would have been talking about the Jazz playing the Lakers in the conference finals. <laughs> Having taken down Kawhi in the clips. And I didn't even mention the Rockets. Yeah. All right. We're out of time. Hands and Scotty are coming up next. We will see you tomorrow.